Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, what's up? I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, the host of The Bay. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts with an S. From KQED. I'm Alan Montecilio, and you're listening to The Bay. Local news to keep you rooted. Gun violence in the Bay Area increased in 2020. And while we don't completely know why yet, we do know that it's not happening equally and that some communities have been affected a lot more than others. I think it was really laid bare when you look at who gun violence was happening to and then compare that to who was facing the worst outcomes during the, the pandemic. It's clear as day, unfortunately. It's, it's heartbreaking, but it's there. Today, what's behind the rise in gun deaths and what violence preventers say needs to happen next. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. When I first started um, covering gun violence for The Guardian, it was around 2019. And a lot of people were in a very, like, positive headspace. Abine Clayton is the lead reporter for The Guardian's Guns and Lies in America series. In Oakland, homicides were down to like the low 70s, which is of course still, you know, tragic, anyone losing their lives, but was nowhere near the the numbers that the city was seeing when it was still known as like a murder capital. The same was happening in Richmond. Um, Stockton was making incredible gains. I think the last story I did before the pandemic was um, Steve Kerr appearing at an event to celebrate, you know, successful violence prevention strategies. For me and the folks that I talked to, pretty much as soon as the pandemic hit, maybe in April or, or May about that time, that mood had changed. And now, Abine, I know we have some more numbers on what this has looked like. Uh, this this last year. Um, you and your colleagues at The Guardian have looked at some census data and some data from the state. What does this data show 
about the increase in gun violence here in the Bay Area in 2020. It squared with what I was expecting to to see. So uh, across the 12 counties of the Bay Area that we analyzed, homicides across the board were up by 25%. It was about 114 more than the year before. But this increase wasn't spread across the region equally. They're increasing the most in Alameda County, in San Joaquin County, and in Solano County. But even within those counties, the cities of Oakland, Stockton, and Vallejo are encompassing the majority of the county's gun violence burden, if you will. Some counties, like San Francisco, had much smaller changes in the homicide rate. And Napa and Marin counties, they recorded just one gun homicide each. And when you start to look at which communities were hit the hardest, you start to see another disparity. Who is bearing the brunt of this violence in the Bay Area? It's Black and Latino folks, for the most part. There was about 450 homicides in the region, and 345 of the victims were were Black or Latino, most of them male. And even within that 345 number, you know, you have these two populations. the, The Latino population is generally larger, and yet 194, almost 200 of the victims were Black, and they make up maybe 5% you know, of the region. So those kind of disparate racial trends, they they just make me sad when I think about it. I want to talk a bit more about why this is happening, or at least what we know about why this is happening. So why did so many more people, especially Black and Latino people, die from gun violence in the Bay Area in 2020? So we still don't necessarily understand the full dynamics behind the the surge and the increase in shootings, but everyone from violence prevention workers to researchers and law enforcement and officials have offered a lot of explanations, including the economic distress from the pandemic, the the loss of employment, and um, the breakdown of like social pillars from schools to just like gathering places and community centers. And um, some even point to like slowdowns in in the courts for all being contributing factors that have led to this increase in homicides, mostly through gun violence. You know, in that April to May time, people had to really close down their operations. There were community centers that had to shut down their doors, you know, places where violence interrupters could find, you know, a program participant, whether it's like at work, at school, the gym, what have you. You just couldn't anymore. So a lot of contacts got broken. A lot of progress got um, interrupted. And then anecdotally, I've heard, you know, from from everyone from like police to violence interrupters that just like arguments, you know, among neighbors, people decided like, I'm gonna handle this with a gun this time. You know what I'm saying? And so I think there is something to be said for that level of stress mixed with the availability of firearms, mixed with already um, economic and social precarity. And then the loss of schools and all the infrastructure that kind of kept things a little at bay, those kind of third spaces where people could go that's not home, that's not work, where they could, you know, maybe uh, feel less stressed. It was just gone, you know? So I think it's a confluence of issues. I think we give a little too much credit to 
what police are or aren't doing for why gun violence increased. Because this is a very, this isn't one of the things that you can kind of explain away because these communities where it happens are so complex and the relationships between people who are impacted by gun violence and those who are perpetrating it are also way more complex than I think a lot of people acknowledge. Do we know whether or not this, I guess, uptick in gun homicides has continued so far in 2021? It looks like it has, especially in um, in Oakland. Unfortunately, it reached 100 homicides a couple weeks ago. Um, it, it hit 109 not not too long ago. Unfortunately, you know, a 15 year old girl was just murdered, and it it's it's still going. From what it looks like, and from what like criminologists and like statisticians say, that increase continued, but it looks like in some places it's beginning to plateau. That does not seem to be the case, particularly in Oakland, but um, it's not much different. It's not, it certainly doesn't look like it's decreasing. Well, and the pandemic isn't over, so. Yeah, the pandemic is still going strong. You know, we got Delta, we got the schools kind of being opened and closed intermittently and, and things of that nature. And I, I talked to violence interventionists who are trying to get their programs back going strong. And then it's like, oh, wait, public health order. Wait, we got to pull back. So hmm. there's still a lot of this like push and pull that people can't fully jump in two feet first to to kind of rebuild and repair what's happened in the past year or so. I, I want to focus now on the impact that this has had on families. What conversations have you been having with the people who were affected by this violence this past year? It's been some really devastating conversations. The two um, women that I feature in the the piece, um, Latanya Robinson, whose son Andre Jr. was was murdered, and then um, we have Sonia Mitchell, whose son Damon Ferguson was murdered in Vallejo. Andre was murdered in Oakland. And the conversations are just really, really sad, you know, from hearing them retell how they found out that their son was killed um, is one part. And then I think they both ended up with like a kind of like a heart issue. And then, of course, you know, dealing with the mental trauma of it all. These stories, while they are both unique to these women, are things that I've I've heard before. And I know, you know, over 100 people during 2020 had to also deal with a hundred like black families had to figure out how to to bury someone in the midst of like a a worldwide emergency. They both are also like, you know, on the the year anniversary of their son's murder, they both are planning these like block parties and they're trying to to still get the word out and let people know they're still seeking justice. So it's like they have to deal with with so much while also still trying to wrap their heads around the fact that an integral person in their lives has just been erased. And and for the people who some of the violence interrupters, I guess who we've talked about, for those folks who are doing this work in communities every day, how is how has this affected them? For the ones that I talked to, it made them of course it makes anyone sad and it's devastating when someone loses a community member, especially in such a violent way. But for a lot of them, it was like, see, we told you this was working. Community violence intervention was necessary. We were playing a big role in Mm. these communities. What we were doing was important. And 
folks have been asking for money. Folks have been asking for um, violence intervention to be seen as an industry, you know, and to be legitimized through dollars, you know, through 401ks, through health insurance, through scaling up. And people have been asking for this for years. The sustained investment is really um, something that across the board from, you know, people who do do that, um, like trauma healing, people who walk families through um, the victim's compensation process, all the way up to folks who show up to the scenes of homicides to make sure people don't shoot back and forth at each other. Like the entire gun violence prevention, you know, youth development world is like, we need the coins. So we'll see. But when you start talking about the coins, you start talking about the politics. So uh, that is a an ongoing saga that I am, you know, certainly going to stay on top of. One last question for you, Abine. I, you know, as like a person, as someone who covers violence, I, I suppose in some sense maybe is used to thinking and talking about this, but at the same time, it's just such a difficult, you know, hard thing. Um, how, how are you processing this right now as a reporter who covers gun violence? My processing of it is is evolving, you know, as I learn more about the fact that having feelings and empathy and being sad when people tell you a sad story is a strength and not a weakness. You know, there was a kind of old guard of journalism that would say, "Uh uh-uh, don't do that. You know what I'm saying? Put on your stone face and keep it moving. But in covering this topic, when you got that stone face, people are not going to trust you. People are going to look at you like, I just told you that my um, that my 14 year old got murdered. And you want to, you know what I'm saying? Ask me all these logistical questions. I think that processing it, I've gotten better at after just acknowledging that this is really sad and really hard. And and that's something that I try to do is pull out these stories and let people know that like, hey, it's not 193 murders, it's 193 people. You know what I'm saying? It's a 450 people whose lives have been cut short violently. To help a family have a memory of their child that isn't just X person shot on X block, you know, having that be the only article you can point to about your kid, you know, having something where they're featured and they're pictured and it's featured with with dignity and with care. And if that's something that my reporting can do, then it just kind of motivates me to find even more like healthy coping mechanisms. And I hope other people can maybe feel that same level of sadness, even for just a moment, just so they care a little more when they see stories, just so they're a little more, you know, careful when they talk about about gun violence. Abine, thank you for for sharing all that. And um, we appreciate your reporting. And thanks for taking some time to talk to us. Yeah, of course. Thank you, Alan. Abine Clayton is the lead reporter for The Guardian's Guns and Lies in America series. We'll leave a link to some of her recent reporting in our show notes. This episode of The Bay was cut and produced by me, Alan Montecilio. Erica Cruz Guevara and Kate Wolf scored this episode and provided additional production help. Our show is made by your local public media station, KQED. I'm Alan Montecilio. That's it for us. Talk to you next time. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. 
Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.